Good morning. My name is Tom Shirk, and I'm on staff here at Calvary, and happy to be with you to open the Bible together and ask that God will teach us what we should know. What will happen in the next 30 minutes, I pray, will be a thing of God by a weak human speaker to weak human listeners. What will happen in the next few minutes um, to have eternal significance needs the Holy Spirit. So let's pray together. We begin today our Father asking for an anointing my mouth and to all our ears. I pray for words that will come from the Holy Spirit through the truth of the Bible to our hearts, through our ears. I pray we all will have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit would want to say to us. I ask that we'll be careful listeners for everyone in this room to be tuned in to the Bible, the Word of God. I pray for the authority of the Holy Spirit in this room to do more than what I could possibly do to touch the depths of our thinking and soul and influence the will this is what you must do Holy Spirit of God and we invite you to do that please reduce every thing that would lead us away from knowing the truth and responding to it with joy and saying in our hearts we want to hear from God this is a remarkable thing that we could be together and open the Bible in 2020 and know that God is speaking to us oh we, we pray that it will be just that not human to human but God to all of us this is what we pray for for your glory we are your church we are your people we've been saved by your grace and mercy and now fill us to hear from you in every way that you want us to. Please meet the needs of our heart. Some of us have come to church with burdens and we pray that they might be lifted by a new awareness of God's ability. Others of us are lonely and need the company of the Holy Spirit and God in our lives. Others of us have a need for hope for the future and I pray that the truth of God will meet us where we are. All of us want to give you our praise and thanks together with one voice in Jesus' name. We all said amen. Yeah. Okay, if you have your Bible, let's open together to the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Someone wrote me a note and put it in my notes uh, before the service. And it simply said, I have put words in your mouth 
with boldness and clarity speak them, for they are life to the hearers. Okay, so he's praying for something divine to happen, and I appreciate that. What happens in our text today is what happens in a lot of life. You have a really good day, and then the next day can change really dramatically. Have you had a week like that where you have a great day and then a not-so-good day? Friday was Valentine's Day. For me, that was a good day. I've been married 38 years. I've had 42 Valentine's Days with Lucy, uh, three dating and 39 married. And we don't like to go out to restaurants anymore, so we have meal at home, and it was great. It was uh, filet mignon, mm. asparagus, and uh, you know, right there by the fireplace. And I, I did it on the grill, and she does, Lucy does her thing, and then it's uh, truffles afterwards. Just beautiful. It was Friday. Saturday, we had hot dogs. <laughs> and like, then you know you've been married for 39 years. Like, filet on Friday, hot dogs on Saturday. I was just sort of thinking, life changes fast, you know, up and down. And you know what? It's like, I'm glad that the Bible acknowledges in much more serious ways, life has got great pinnacles of experiences of walking with God. And life has dramatic, earth-shattering challenges. And the Bible admits that, that that's what life is. This is exactly what happens from Acts 3 to Acts 4. But do you remember what happened in Acts 3? Okay. <laughs> so let's close in prayer. <laughs> no, Acts 3 was a great miracle. Somebody um, lame at the temple and Peter and John come by and do you have any coins? No, I don't have any coins. But in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And not only did the lame man who was lame for 40 years rise and walk, he jumped up. And almost instantaneously, you get the sense that he leapt to his feet and was jumping around leading an extravagant praise to God for an instantaneous, miraculous healing from the hand of the apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit into this man who was lame. And I'm telling you, everybody was rejoicing. And that follows chapter 2, where the church was having all these things in common. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, and to fellowship. I mean, there was a really great vibe in the church. And sometimes churches don't have a great vibe. I'm glad this one does. Uh, I'm, you have great leaders here. And... I want to encourage you. you. You have leaders and elders who lead this congregation. Uh, and I'm not normally here. And I want to encourage you to keep praying for supporting the leaders of this congregation. Um, there's a great vibe here. And it's because that we, we want to follow what this says. Anyway, at any rate, chapter 3, there's a great vibe. Everybody's excited. And there's added to the church 3,000 people. And they're really it's awesome. And then in chapter 4, everything changes. And when it changes, it is the fulfillment of a promise that Jesus made about, I'm guessing, a week before he died. 
A week before Jesus went to the cross, he made this prophetic statement to his disciples in Luke chapter 21. It'll be on the screen. And Jesus is talking about some of the ends of the age signs that are going to come. But before all those end of the age signs, they will lay their hands on you. He's talking to his disciples. And they will persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to, everybody, to bear witness. This is going to be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, but I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Luke 21, he wrote that, Jesus' words, a week or so before the crucifixion of Jesus. And now in Acts chapter 4, we're about two months after. So here we are, Jesus saying, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be brought before kings, but don't worry. Don't, it's going to be your opportunity to witness don't even think about what you're going to say because I will put the words in your mouth and they will not be able to answer you. Lo and behold, that's exactly what happens in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, um, we find the first antagonists of the gospel message. It's been great since Acts chapter 1. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the world. And that's what's going to happen. And so it's starting to occur, and it didn't take long to have a great experience of being the church together in chapter 2 and a miracle in chapter 3. And now in chapter 4, somebody's not happy that the church is moving forward. While I'm speaking this morning about first century acts, I would like you to, with one part of your brain, Think about your life here in America and the political powers of our day and the, the way to be a Christian with boldness in our day. Here's what happens. Acts chapter 1, verse, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And uh, they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So um, Peter, John are there talking with all of the people who are excited about the miracle that had just occurred. And that ends quickly when suddenly some people are annoyed. These are the political leaders of the day, the Sadducees. They are the wealthy ruling class who were collaborationists with the Roman Empire, and they did all they could to keep Rome happy so that they could have their positions of authority over the people. They cooperated with Rome in order to help there be peace in Jerusalem, and here they are in the temple, and there's practically a riot because everybody's so excited that a lame man has now been healed. And so they are greatly annoyed because of the preaching about the resurrection. Now, there's kind of two kinds of people who get annoyed. 
Um, there's people who get annoyed about you being a Christian or me being a Christian. They say, well, okay, well, you can live and let live. You, you keep your truth. That's your truth. I'll keep mine, you keep yours. And then there's a group of people in the Bible who were just annoyed and they were going to say, you, you can't speak your truth. And that's what happens here. In verse 3 and 4, it reads, and they arrested them and threw them into custody be, the, uh, until the next day. So it's probably later in, in the afternoon. And Peter and John actually, and maybe the lame man himself, they get seized, they get put into prison, um, and they're held in custody overnight. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So here you have suddenly the church still growing. 3,000 was the last count. This will be the last count that's given in the book of Acts. And it's just the men, and it's 5,000. So something's happening. There's a lot of people believing, but there's a lot of people who are annoyed that this gospel is going forth. Does that surprise you? It's kind of like that today. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be. There's always those who are loving the message, those who are annoyed with the message, those who are somewhat curious about the message. I always worry whenever I preach in an audience that's this big. Because I know that probably some of you have loved Jesus for 30 years. And you say, come on, go deeper, get more. And I know that some of you are here today and you don't even know much about the Bible yet. You're just introducing, getting introduced to it. And, and somewhere in between, there's all kinds of people who when it comes to this message about the gospel, you say, well, I'm totally committed to it. I love it. And others are saying, I'm not sure what it means yet. And it's not unlike what's happening right here in Acts chapter four. There were some who, who were joining in, believing wholeheartedly, and then there were others who were absolutely against it. Now, the reason the Sadducees were against this message being preached is because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Theologically speaking, they did not think that there was an afterlife or angelic beings or things that were not uh, material. It sounds like today. Sadducees were the aristocratic, wealthy, ruling class, and they really tried to keep peace with Rome. And if these witnesses of the resurrection unsettled Jerusalem, and everybody that was a Christian started to preach, Jesus rose from the dead, and more and more people came to believe in Jesus. And this miracle gets everybody whipped up into a frenzy. What's going to happen to the Sadducees' grip on influential political power in the domain of Jerusalem. It's going to be lost. It's going, it's going to be lost. Can, can you get that? They will be on the outs. And so they're going to do all that they can as the political ruling power to keep these Christian witnesses under control and not getting everybody whipped up and unruly, believing that there is a resurrection from the dead, that these miracles really do happen, and they don't want to believe it even if they just saw a miracle. Can you imagine someone being so committed to unbelief that they would look at a miracle and say, 
I don't care if that happened. I still don't believe it. That's what's happening. Let's go on. Um, they arrested them, threw them into prison till the next day. So there they are in prison. On the next day, verse 5, the rulers and the elders and the scribes together with them um, in Jerusalem, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or in what name have you done this? So the next day, they pull them out of prison, set them in a circle. Essentially, this is the high court. This is the Supreme Court in our day. It is the highest court in Jerusalem with all of the Sanhedrin and leaders and Caiaphas, the high priest. When's the last time you heard Caiaphas's name in your Bible? You remember? Just a, about two and a half months ago in chronology to this event back right before the crucifixion when Caiaphas and Jesus were together and he was on trial. And when he was on trial and Jesus was eventually convicted and turned over to Roman leaders and then put on a cross and crucified, who was in the shadow there? Peter was. And when Peter was in the shadow there, in front of Caiaphas and the high priests and the rulers of the day, and they were challenging Jesus, and someone said to Peter, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? Okay, you're with me now, right? And something's happening in Peter's heart when Jesus is on trial in front of the same group of people about two and a half months ago, and Peter is so timid and so fearful that he says, I do not know him, I was never with him, and he lies outright and denies Jesus two and a half months ago from this event. Now it's Peter standing before this same group of governors, rulers, religious leaders of the day, the same ones who put Jesus on the cross and had him crucified, and something is different in Peter. That he's going to stand up and go head to head with the Supreme Court. And he's a fisherman. What is it? It's got to be the Holy Spirit in him. It's got to be the awareness that at that time Jesus hadn't been crucified or raised. And now Peter has actually seen Jesus alive from the dead. And Jesus has spoken to Peter and strengthened him and said, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And Peter has seen the risen Christ. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's one of these guys who just, he was with Jesus for three years. And so now he's going to be able to stand up against the political powers of his day and say, this is true about Jesus. Well, let's see what happens. Um, by what power or in what name do you do this? That was the question. In what authority do you stand? That's a good question that all of us are going to have to answer, by the way. Not, not by what, we, what authority we healed a lame person, but by what authority do you live? That's the question of this text. Do you live your life under the authority of you, 
or do you live it under the authority of God or money or under the authority of your own freedom or do you live it what is the ruling authority of your life that's the question by what power do you operate verse 8 then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit I love that it says that we've talked about being filled by the Spirit and whenever you're going to be put in a position where you have to speak for God you have to give an account for something it's going to be helpful to just pause and say, Holy Spirit, I want you to be in control of my life right now. I want to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit in this moment. And it just says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. How to win friends and influence people. Okay, this is Peter two and a half months ago who said, I don't even know him. Do you see this? I say to you, Jesus of Nazareth, real person, real city, real historical context. You know him. You crucified him. And God raised him up from the dead. By him, this man is standing well before you. Wow, what power! What confidence, what reliance on the Holy Spirit to say it is in the name of Jesus that this miracle occurred, that this man now walks. And Jesus is the authority of my life and the life of the other apostles. He is the authority of all of the church that's beginning to burgeon in Jerusalem. He's the authority over you as well. You crucified him. God raised him up. Okay, he's talking to Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection. And he says to them directly, God raised him up. And then verse 11 goes further. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. We sang about that this morning. This comes from Psalm 118. He's the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among, uh, given among men whereby you must be saved. Oh, we, we should read verse 12 again, can we? And there is salvation in no one else, together, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Can you preach that today? It would take the boldness of Peter to preach that in a pluralistic world like ours. What is Peter saying? Peter is saying, listen, Jesus, that you crucified and God raised up, it was by his authority that this man was healed and his healing is simply a signal for the greater healing that's 
necessary for every human being. He is the one who can give eternal life and salvation. And the authority by which Jesus healed this man's legs is the same authority required to give salvation to anyone besides Jesus. There is no authority to give salvation. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. You can't preach that in America. You can't. You're intolerant. All roads lead to Jesus, to God, to heaven. Nope. There is but one God, one mediator, the man Jesus Christ. This is where Christianity becomes very offensive to political power here in the first century. The healing of the legs is simply the vehicle by which to say the healing of the soul so that you can have salvation through Jesus Christ is tied right in here. Do you get that? It's there and it's powerful and Peter is so different in his boldness. And the miracle is indisputable, right? Like you you see that this actually did occur. Verse 13 says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They really wanted to say something to opposition because you had a couple hasty disciples standing in front of the Supreme Court who were the most learned and educated people and they were proclaiming something that they did not want to hear with the boldness that belonged to someone who was extraordinarily educated, but they weren't, who was extraordinarily impressive, but they weren't. And they were just the kind of people who were quiet under the influence of the Holy Spirit and having spent a great deal of time with Jesus. They had his words, they had his character, had everything, his love and compassion was in them and the confidence was in the two of them and they stood there and proclaimed those things and they were stupefied. It's cool, isn't it? They were with Jesus. That's accessible to all of us. Spend time with Jesus. Learn his words. Learn his character. Learn his ways know who he is and the the likeness to Jesus over time just gives a sense of boldness that I'm I'm going to say in a pluralistic world the message of this gospel there is salvation and no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved they'll kill you if you say that they did They did to Jesus, and they did to the disciples, and most all of them lost their lives for proclaiming this kind of message. But can I just show you one thing that's sort of weird in all of this? You you see in this, they had nothing to say in opposition because the dude was standing right next to them. But yesterday, he was in a pile at the front door at the gate of the temple, and here he is today, and they're looking at him and saying, Okay, there he is. 
Have you ever heard somebody say, if I could only have God do a miracle for me, I would believe. We've all done it. It's like, God, if you would just do this, I will believe in you. And then a lot of people say, well, you, you know, if God would just do a miracle, I, I, I'd be on board. Not necessarily. This guy is standing right there. And over and over again, it says the evidence is indisputable. It is indisputable. It is indisputable. I mean, just read on. Look, let's look at the verse 16. What, they send the guys out, and they confer with one another. And they say, what should we do with these men? For a notable...